Welcome to our Nurture Natter podcast, voicing the things that matter to your community. Hi, I'm Charlotte, mum to two, founder of Nurture. I'm passionate about creating real connection and the art of bringing people together from all walks of life. I do this alongside my co-founders, Clara Wilcox and Ben Birchall. Hi, I'm Clara, a mum of two, career coach by day and a chocolate obsessed bookworm by night. Hi, I'm Ben. Family life and community are really important to me. I like to keep busy, sometimes so much so that I lose count of how many businesses and projects I'm involved in and even how many children I have. Nurture Community CIC engages the community in person and online through events to reduce isolation and increase community spirit. The bi-weekly podcast Nurture Natter is hosted by the Nurture Community a collective of souls who run a mission to help families get that wonderful balance of health, wealth and happiness, bringing communities together to inspire and support each other. Carry on the conversation with us online through our Facebook group, Nurture Natter, or use the hashtag NNPodcast on Instagram and Twitter to find us at Nurture Ideas. Today on Nurture Natter, we're again joined by one of our fabulous community partners. And this time around, it's Judith Snaith from Omega Outdoor Adventures. Judith recently shared a great blog with us about how to take charge of your own happiness. You can find the blog on our website. Following on from the blog, today we'll be chatting with Judith about what well-being means to us. So back in 2011, I decided that I didn't want to work in a shop or a warehouse anymore. Um, I got a job the year before as a paintball marshal and sort of loved being outside and enjoyed that everybody wanted to be there rather than every day going to work and asking how everyone is and then basically just saying the same stuff, different day and not enjoying what they were doing. Um, so I just started Googling stuff that was like that and came across a couple of different apprenticeships in the outdoors and that's when it sort of clicked and it was like, oh, people do this for a living. <laughs> So that thing that we went and did in school in like year six, I can actually go and have that as a career. Um, so I spent a long time going through different sort of jobs. I did a two-year apprenticeship, um, getting paid pennies, but got qualified through doing it and sort of dealing with everybody saying, when are you going to get a real job? And <laughs> in 2018, I come back from a, a pretty hard season in the Emirates where basically it wasn't safe, but as management out there, it was sort of my name on all the risk assessments and stuff. So I left early and decided that I wasn't going to put my name onto anything that wasn't um, customer-centric and definitely staff-centric as well, and decided that it was time to open up our own, which is Omega now, rather than keep working for other people and sort of turn it in what we wanted it to be all along, which is more focused on making sure the staff are happy so that they're then providing good experiences for anybody that's coming in and really focused on giving an experience rather than it's just people through the door to then earn money. So after years and many, many different countries and places across the world running other people's companies um, as, as management, I think the most I ever run at one time was I was in charge of five different centres in the space of two years, uh, from the Eden Project to two Butlin sites, 
So like these are like huge centres um, where the staff are kind of getting forgotten. And I was sort of the middleman between a head office team that had never worked in the outdoors and then the staff and then trying to keep teaching the kids happy. And then, yeah, it was just like, okay, so how do I start a business? Right, I need a name, quick, pick one. And uh, just sort of rolled from there, really. And it's still a journey ongoing. But the sort of main aim would be to have a plot of land set up all year round, teach people how to grow their own food, as well as um, the mindfulness and the well-being side of things, as well as it being outdoor education. I want to sort of teach people how to live more sustainably and closer with the earth. So the centre would, of course, be vegan as well. It's not going to be like a massive deal, but that's what we choose to, to feed people that are coming in. So they're getting the right nutrition that they can then have the best day possible because the bodies are happy as well as their sort of mental state as well. So, yeah, that's where I'm at now. And where did the name come from? So originally, when we started talking about it back in... 2014 it was Judith and Alex's Pirate Adventure Centre and we called it that for about three years and uh, decided that unless we were going to dress up like pirates for the rest of our lives that we probably shouldn't call it that and I was up for that but Alex wasn't so we sort of just started floating around different names and it come up that um, so like Alpha and Omega so Alpha would be the beginning and Omega would be sort of the end point the, the, the sort of creator um, and that felt kind of right. And then a few months later, after it had already been signed and paid for, it turned out that Omega is actually the Earth Chakra. So it's the chakra about um, a meter underneath your feet that actually connects to, to the planet. And I thought that was kind of fitting. And um, so we stuck with it in the end and didn't do a name change. That's really cool. I love it. And I love your story as well and how... I think it's really brave that you kind of like took that step and decided that you wanted to do it yourself and make a difference with it. You didn't want to copy it. You wanted to do your own version of it. And I think that's really um, commendable, really. So I think that's really interesting that you've got that way of living, if you like. Yeah, I think you've got to do it. And that's part of what we're teaching the kids as well. We want them to go and do it. But at the same time, we have to uh, be able to go and do it ourselves. I think what's really clear to me is you're doing something that you love and uh, it's great you know, to, to associate with an organisation who, who really love what they're doing and uh, want to make a difference, not just to the people who come through the door, but to the world in which they live as well. Yeah, a lot of it is the, the instructors that are running the sessions absolutely love doing it and they love working with the, the kids and adults and they just don't really get treated right. Some of the places that we've lived in, you, you wouldn't even spend a night in. I mean, we've had lived in places where you've got a tin shaft as a bathroom, your showers and toilets and sinks and outside, your washing machines outside, you're surrounded by ants and scorpions all day long and then expected uh, to stay over in a tent with the kids overnight. As much as it is about like making sure the experience is right and it's safe and it's good and worthwhile, I think by focusing on the staff team, that is going to happen. That's just going to roll naturally. And so our team is made up of Alex, Millie, my mum, generally, who comes in as an assistant. So we've all worked together at various places for years now and all have experience working at different places as well and sort of have that same idea of what we wanted to make it. So it's not like we've had to go out and do a 
a recruitment process of right let's have this person in because the CV says this it is people that we've worked with we are friends outside of it as well that go out and do the outdoor stuff um, and yeah just all bring a little bit of our own thing to the team so it's not like a sort of a pyramid where we've got head office with sort of standards to meet it's, it's us saying like we want to achieve this and then being able to do that really cool absolutely love it i love all the activities as well and i love the fact that you make it accessible because i think sometimes that sort of area of outdoor activities can seem quite inaccessible because it's something that you might have to have a lot of money to do you might have to travel to do so i think the fact that you have set up within buzzards valley and that you do accessible things like the community games within the park is amazing because you're, you're including people in that conversation and making them realise that actually you can go kayaking along the canal within Staffordshire. You do have a climbing wall and, and I think that really comes across. So we absolutely love working alongside you as a community partner because of that as well. So it's so cool. Yeah, the, the accessible thing's a big deal. And when you say accessible, it's not just about people with other abilities and um, it is about just reaching everybody and this sort of the point of outdoor education is to make sure that people are seeing there's a different way of learning things and not everybody has to be academic yet at the same time the people who need those things most tend to be left out because they can't afford them or they can't get to it maybe they just don't think that far into let's do this and I think a lot of companies as well Sort of don't make it accessible because it is more focused on business which is understandable i think it's interesting you said about parents as well because i think a lot of the time some parents might not have experienced it themselves either so then to offer that to their children is like well how can you offer something that you haven't actually done yourself so I think it's really cool that you do a lot of things that include the parents if they want to join in and that you're talking to people on a level about what what is possible because it really opened my eyes that you are local we've said a few times I used to do like kayaking but in France when I used to go on holiday it was like a Euro camp and there was like a you know place where you could go and kayak and when I met you I was like oh my god that's so cool I didn't even think that to do that like locally and literally as soon as this lockdown's over <laughs> it doesn't matter if the pub's not open I'm coming I'm going kayaking I can't wait I just need some factor 50 on and I'm there I'm there factor 50 and a four pack of special brew yeah yeah that's the one that's the one <laughs> I'll take whatever, but I'll take a wine or beer or cider. So today's question is, what does well-being mean to you? My answer is, it's understanding all the elements that I need to be healthy, happy and making progress in my life. For me, well-being is taking control of how my thoughts and actions affect the way I feel. For me, it's how I look after myself. Uh, for me, well-being is your outlet for stress. Very interesting, but also different. I yeah. think that's the complexity of something like well-being as well. There isn't actually one one size fits all. And uh, I think in the past, it's been sort of the medical idea of well-being has been sort of ran with it in terms of sort of you know physical well-being when actually there's so many different elements and everyone has their own individual sort of levels when it needs to feel happy and healthy um 
and in the past I think it has also had the bias of well it's just about being you know physical not identifying everything else and I think you know what we've gone through recently you know the power of connection the power of freedom power of movement actually really feeds into that element of well-being yeah and I think for me well-being is something that I've been more aware of as I've got older so it's not something I remember ever thinking about when I was younger and I don't know if that's because it just wasn't wasn't a trendy thing to talk about or because it just wasn't something that we ever spoke about within school or education or even at home it wasn't like well-being it was more about you know are we eating the right things or are we exercising or and it was that element of are you happy kind of the extent of how it went really so to think of well-being now and how I think of it as an adult is quite interesting because it is really complex isn't it and everybody's well-being is completely different so you can't just give somebody advice on how to look after their well-being when everybody's has to look at themselves really you have to look at what you need don't you which is is quite difficult really really difficult to find the time to have that headspace and to also allow yourself to explore what does make you happy i think you've hit the nail on the head with time because i think so much about well-being is about using your time appropriately and i think what you find you know you, you hear terms like burnout so i think we've always been aware of of people either having physical burnout or mental burnout and know that that's they're probably been aware of some of the key causes of that but i think what we're more and more aware of as a society these days is that it affects us all on different levels and we've all got a state of well-being and we should all be more conscious about our current state of well-being and how it can be improved but it sometimes gets pushed to one side because there's an overriding goal to be achieved or there's an overriding feeling of success going on so actually I can ignore the things that aren't so good because these things are great so having a balanced approach to well-being is, is you know this is what we talk about in nurture but having a balanced approach from a balanced understanding is hard to strike um but I think yeah for, for me it's uh, it is complex and uh, we'll explore it a bit more yeah so with the going with the balance thing um if you think of your sort of mental health as a three-legged stool so your well-being is a three-legged stool one stool is your personal relationship one stool leg sorry is your relationship one is your physical health one is your mental health and if one gets chopped down are you going to be able to balance that so you can add more legs into that and that's part of what that well-being is and like they find the time to do those things is really important and it's sort of thinking about how everybody else has got that stool as well, but there's going to be a different tipping point for everybody at how much they can chip away at a certain leg. And is that a relationship, did you say, with yourself or with people within your life? It's, it's your relationships, so relationships with other people. Oh, that's really interesting. I've never heard that before. So that's really informative, actually, to think about it in that, in that way. Because yeah. Think, yeah, so much that we do at, at nurture is about that that part of the leg. I think you know that leg of the stool. Mm -hmm. um, it's about how do we enable people to have positive and strong relationships and access positive and strong relationships with people that may not seem obvious and apparent to them. And you know, it's, it's fundamental to me that um, people can go and find and have access to 
relationships which add value to their personal well-being. Absolutely. I, I was just reaching around and grabbing a book, so I've made sure I got the gentleman's name right. But I've got on one of one of my to-do lists is a book called Together uh, by Vivek H. Murphy, who was a former Surgeon General of the United States, and this is all about um, loneliness and health. And he. Um, when he was under the um, Obama administration, he had responsibility for public health. And one of the things they started to notice is that a lot of the physical issues people were having around dementia, um, heart problems, those types of things, there was a link to how lonely they were. And it even came up anecdotally, you know, he was saying how when he was newly qualified in A&E and there'd be people coming in with certain health conditions, anecdotally a lot of them is there anyone I can call no I haven't got anyone and I think we do from a well-being perspective have always underplayed the power of those connections that it's not you know there is a physical link between being lonely and not having those connections and actually it has an impact on your physical well-being and I think as we've all got older that connection between the two is becoming stronger and stronger and stronger um, but like you said Ben we've always been in the past judged on quite capitalist success measures and as long as you have this everything else can be bought and actually it can't and you know we see that all the time with people that have all the money in the world but they have you know like you say Judith those stools aren't there and it shows well-being can't be bought you can buy experiences to connect with those things but the actual the actual well-being part of it you know has to be there and genuine. The strength of your situation so the relationships you have as well as the mental and the physical um, health I think allows you to then if you do have those I mean they're never going to all be there at once but you can rely on them that you can actually develop and grow can't you and that's what I've definitely experienced growing up because I've had really poignant relationships and they've been very long-standing relationships because I've chosen to invest my time and value into those relationships like my best friends like I've been with her since I was like three <laughs> like she can't get rid of me and I'm not saying that's for everyone but um I've grown with them and they are categorically those very important relationships what I have relied on for my well-being going back to like you know looking after yourself they've definitely a hundred percent helped me you know throughout my life I think you make a great point about the the strength of those relationships as well so for me as soon as you said that I kind of got a visual of the stool having foundations so going into the ground can being you know whatever happens around you whatever if you're the if the other leg of the saw gets knocked away, you've got a bit more strength to stay upright and balanced because you're grounded in the, in the ground. So, so if your friendships and your networks are superficial and something goes wrong with another leg in your, in, on your stool, it's hard to recover. Uh, you haven't got people you can lean on and, and, and come to. So I think really that, that level is, is really important as well, how deeply connected you are and all that things. I think for me, it's interesting around the language we use as well. So I do, in the day job, I do a lot of training around resilience. And actually a lot of what we're talking about are the key elements to having a resilient life and having that sort of bounce back ability that's now sort of coming to the dictionary around that. And like you say, Ben, it's, it's at the times when we need it, you need to be able to draw on those people either emotionally or physically. And if they're not there, it has massive, massive, you know, repercussions. And, and the, the other thing, lives, really. the other thing is as well, sometimes you don't choose the relationships that you've got. 
and sometimes they can be unhealthy and it's really hard to actually sometimes strike away from those relationships that have been historic like I've personally had that where you know I've had a certain family members where I would want to be close to them but it was never going to be for whatever reason and that's quite difficult as well because you want to draw on those relationships because that should be where your strength is when sometimes actually that isn't possible like you know we live in a world where you know everybody's got different relationships with their family and it's also about the friends that you have like you were saying Judith about obviously um who works for you is very much you know yeah friends but it very much seems like you've all got the shared values and that also gives you strength to you know develop your business develop your ideas because you've got that those people around you that share the same kind of vision as you yeah definitely I think that comes from sort of our upbringing and what we've been exposed to as kids um, and that's where you start building resilience and that's why we focus so much on the kids although we are for everybody in all ages um, but it's really at that starting point where they're, they're building that tool up and that's going to determine that then for the rest of their lives and the relationships one is like a huge one that comes into it that people don't really tend to think of because your parenting scars, you've got family friends, and then you've got friends that are at school, you've got teachers, and then you've got the outside community as well, and how they're um, sort of interacting with you, be that the, the person walking down the street with a smile, or, I mean, it's big in the news at the moment about the, the whole racial thing that's going on, that is, is going to have a huge impact, or maybe it's just a kid that really likes um, Pokemon or something and he gets bullied for that at school there's so many different relationships that are going to go into that and change your their own ability to be able to handle stress that if they haven't got the other legs that are going to support that as well it's just going to tip straight over I think quite often we underestimate the power of interest you know on the surface like what you do Judith we think about oh you know you go along and climb a wall and then go away but actually what you're finding is a group of people that have a similar interest because I always remember looking back as a child and I always assumed when you're a child the friends that you had as an adult are the friends you've had since you were children the concept to me as a child that you make genuine friendships as an adult just seemed a bit strange <laughs> um, you assume that all that friendship building happens when you're younger but actually understanding what you're interested in, and obviously if it has a physical aspect to it, it's a bit of a win-win, is that catalyst and the springboard for finding that, that support network, that physical outlet, that emotional outlet that maybe you, you don't have in other situations. And I think quite often we underestimate the power of hobbies and the power of, of interest to be able to bring you into that group of people. Yeah, that's kind of what well-being is really when you come mm. down to it, is your hobbies. It's your hobbies that you do, um, that enable you to, to go out and blow off some steam. Um, and what we really do is we give people an opportunity to find a new hobby that they might not have thought of before. And it's not about whether they're really good at it the first time they do it, it's about making sure that they're feeling that success on whatever level it is that they're reaching it. And, and we're challenging them by choice. It's not, you must get to the top of this wall. It's, how far would you like to go? Let's help you reach that target. I really like that you've mentioned and it's come to my mind like resilience so you're building that resilience of an individual and I think that's a really interesting point because I think as a parent as well it's so easy to um, 
stop your child from experiencing things that might cause them to feel upset or pain or almost like trigger some sort of trauma but actually from this conversation I'm just thinking about myself and my own children is that actually trauma unfortunately it it, it does happen in everybody's life but it's about how you respond to that and how you use that in a positive way to inform your future decisions if you can and that that's a really hard process isn't it yeah you just hit the nail on the head there with the, it's a risky play um, something that you think kids might not be shouldn't be doing like climbing up a tree it's giving them that space to make their own decisions to do a risk assessment and sort of weigh off for themselves or oh, is this going to be too dangerous how far can I push my own body and my own mental self um yeah so we sort of give them guided learning so they're in a space where they're obviously supervised and you've got trained staff who are there to make sure they are being safe and they're not pushing the limits too far but also a lot of what we do is take a step back and, and sort of let them find out for themselves how much they can push themselves and then they get that independence that then boosts the confidence as well and sort of realizing oh i can do this that's all building on the resilience for, for later in life and it's a, I don't know if this is the right word, but it's all like self-limiting beliefs. So I could maybe think that it's, it's something I couldn't do. I don't enjoy. So I don't enjoy getting outside. I do, by the way. And, um, you know, doing some sort of mud run. Um, I wouldn't put my children in that position because I don't like it. So my children wouldn't. And it's really easy to take those steps, isn't it? And I think actually what I'm really aware of and really conscious of is that I don't want to do that. And I've had a similar situation uh, recently with the schools. Are, some of them are reopening. They've started to reopen. And they've obviously sent photographs of the school. And my initial reaction was like, I don't like it. I don't want to send them. I, I really don't like the situation because they're having to be separate. And then I took a step back and I thought, right, I'm just going to show Robin the picture without any form of understanding. And I just said, oh, Robin, like, this is what do you think about this? And he was like, oh, it looks so cool, mum. I just can't wait to go back. <laughs> and I was like, brilliant okay that's fine so I and I'm very aware of that and I think especially with what you do Judith it's about pushing people out of their comfort zone but it's not necessarily just the children because they don't even know it's that parent as well and that perspective of what that can bring by doing some sort of outdoor activity yeah and it, it's a fine line between pushing the comfort zone into that stretch zone where they really are going to do the learning um, to pushing them too far past that where you're actually going to scare them out of ever wanting to try it again or maybe anything new again so you really got to work with with everybody on an individual level to see how far they can go with it interesting because i think as we're as we're discussing this what's coming through quite loud and clear to me is that the the link between achieving and well-being so when we feel like if we're achieving something however small that thing is we're making progress towards something then we feel better um and th that link's quite an interesting one to explore really. and i think the stuff that you do judith you know what you're talking about is stretching people pushing people enabling people to go away and say i achieved something today and i feel good as a result of doing that i push my boundaries i feel more confident so how much is our i suppose achievement level or a perception of our achievements linked directly to our well-being 
think hugely. I think too much in life, people are told that they're not doing good enough. We've put these kids into a system that wasn't designed for everybody and expect everybody to be able to do everything on paper. Um, you find a lot of outdoor instructors are generally dyslexic or they're not good at things like that. They're not that academic and they've found this other route and that's why they're so passionate about um, sort of implementing that onto, onto kids as they're coming through the camp. Um, and I think, yeah, achievement's a huge thing. So it's going to boost your serotonin levels. It's going to boost how much you think you can do. And then that positivity is going to flow through into different parts of your life. And it's interesting because we're going to be sharing the blog that you've kindly written um, in line with um, obviously sharing this podcast. But I found it really interesting to read um, different ways in which um, you manage your well-being and different recommendations. And do you want to tell us a bit more about that? So the idea of this, um, is it a stress bucket? Stress bucket, yeah. So the stress bucket is now called a stress container up north, bucket means something different. Uh, but I like to stress bucket better, so I continue to call it that. And I actually did a video using that as well, um, which you can go and have a watch and try at home with the kids or just for yourself. And uh, basically, your stress bucket is something that everybody has. It's an internal thing that you don't, you don't really see on the surface until it's already overflowing. And that's when we're getting mental breakdowns um, and kids acting out. Uh, could be as simple as they just lose it one day and you don't quite know why and it's because they've reached that level of actually the bucket's overflowing so if you imagine that you put every stress you have in life into a bucket and your bucket is either this big because of how you've been brought up and how resilient you are stress, or it's huge because you've had a fantastic uh, relationship and you've got good physical health and you get out into nature um depends on how much you can actually take and it's personal for us all so if you start then filling that up with oh i've got exams or i've got to do this chore or i don't i don't want to eat my vegetables or i can't go out with my friends late enough at night there's so many different things that go into it um, and then you've got a tax on that so it's not like you're just filling it off and one day everybody has to overflow like the straw on the camel's back there is a tax um, and that's going to allow those stresses to to flow out the other way you've got to be able to sort of release some of that and that's where the well-being comes in and it could be that you're just getting out for a walk or it could be that you really enjoy climbing or journaling it could be that it's just a chat every week with your friends just to catch out what's going on that allows those stresses to sort of flow out and then you're able the next day to wake up and take on a little bit more but on the other hand you can block your own path by having uh, unhealthy coping mechanisms, um, thinking on more of an adult level now would be things like smoking or alcohol use and are going to block those up. Yeah, that's, um, I think that's a really good point as well, because I think as an adult, we are expected to almost take on more responsibility and more some people stress and then it can feel like you have to be able to manage it because that's what being an adult is about when actually it's exactly the same as being a child you can't be expected to do everything and you need to allow yourself to fill up on the physical or mental health side or relationship because actually a relationship as an adult 
is such a difficult thing to maintain because you have your families so unless somebody fits within your life um and fits around what you already do so say i'm just thinking of people that just call me randomly and their friends and i'll chat to them i don't think i i'd ever like just purposefully like block out time which is which is wrong and i should do that more and i do that now i guess with um i'll go for like a run with someone and i enjoy doing that and that's like a blocked out amount of time but i think it's really interesting because sometimes when things feel overwhelming you're completely right if you take a step back and you do something that's gonna support your well-being the next day you just feel like so much better don't you and that's something that i i have to remind myself about as well i think boundaries come into a lot of that that understanding what your boundaries are and understanding that no is a complete sentence and not becoming a martyr to certain situations. And you're right, you know, as an adult, the role models we have around us give us this idea that everybody, you know, especially parents, but adults generally, that everyone else has to be put first. And that, you know, if you want to go out and do something that's seen as selfish rather than that, yet you encourage your friends to do that, but you don't put the same type of thing. And I think you know, for me, when it comes to well-being, having very well-defined boundaries and putting simple things in place um, to communicate those actually makes life a lot easier because then you're less likely to get overwhelmed. You're less likely to, you know, get exhausted and run out of time. And you also, you know, fit the things into your diary that's important. But it takes time and it, you know, it takes effort and you have to be conscious with it. I think a lot of us seem to feel like that it just happens and it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, we've talked before about, you know, um, structured and unstructured uh, type things. So for me, some of the things we're talking about is, you know, Charlotte, you just mentioned there, about making time for people and blocking things in. Undoubtedly, I think we can benefit our well-being. We can have more well-being, positive well-being in our lives if we plan things in. Um, but then I always come back to the fact that I say, well, there are certain things I want to do that I need to be more spontaneous about, and um, but then they can slip off. So interestingly, I suppose the technique that I like to use there is, is, is kind of putting goals and targets in place that mean that I'll do more of the things that, that are good for my well-being. So whether that is outdoor physical activity, which supports my mental health and things like that as well. It's great. So I haven't necessarily got to block it all the time, but I know that in my list of priorities it's got to be up there today i've got to do something that serves that purpose today um so i think one of the challenges is is you know how spontaneous it's going to be and how planned them are going to be and making sure my lifestyle suits my well-being needs yeah. i think that society has kind of produced a way of living that it is an effort to to, to look after your own well-being um, and whether that's on purpose or not i don't know um, but I think a massive part of it is just finding something that you enjoy doing because if you enjoy doing it, you're more likely to actually go out and do it. It's kind of the same as on the virtual coffee catch-ups we've been saying we like accidental exercise more than we like going out to exercise. It's the same thing. You can do accidental well-being, whether it's somebody just calling you up on the phone or you're actually making time to go out and do something. Um, yeah, definitely making it enjoyable is, is a big thing. That's something that's come up recently, actually. So I was speaking to a friend and she was, um, she's very creative. And she was like, oh, I've been wanting to paint for like years. So she's not a painter, but she was like, I just want to paint. And she was like, but rather than making time to paint, I've just done it. I've just done a bit of painting. And I was like, 
that's such a good point because I think sometimes we can almost like over almost like dramatize do something like I really want to paint and I'm going to give myself this dedicated time and I'm going to do it really well but actually you're losing the point of painting the point of painting is that it's freedom to express yourself and I think that that for me is a really big thing that I've learned especially through lockdown as well that you just need freedom I think there is, you know, culturally, we've been told that for something to be worth doing, it has to be good and it has to be. Um, so when we look about creativity, it has to be commercialised, you know. So if you're going to do something, it has to be at a certain level. Um, there's a book by Elizabeth Gilbert called Big Magic that's brilliant about that, that actually similar type of thing. You just need to start. And I notice that all the time with a lot of my clients, they feel like for something to be worthwhile, they have, they have to have all the kit. It has to be a certain amount of time. So it comes up a lot when I talk about reading. So I'm part of like three, um, three book clubs, two that I run and one that I'm, um, well, one I run, one I'm moderate and one that I'm part of. So there's at least three books a month, at least minimum that, that I'm getting through. And a lot of the people say, well, how do you find time to read? So I like, read every day. It's actually not about reading a book, three books a month or 100 pages a day. It's I have to make sure I read every single day. I need to have the same, same type of application to physical activity. But, you know, there is that element of, you know, like with your friend painting, the, the reason I read, I read three, four, five, six books a month is that I read every day. That could be 20 minutes, it could be two yeah. hours, but that, that's a priority. And I'm thinking this is exactly the same for physical fitness as well and this is a really good point and it, I, it always comes up and, it, and I always remind myself of this because so with especially recent circumstances and not being able to go out and childcare and you know the whole thing I've been going out but doing like really small like jogs and like thinking I'm doing it because I enjoy it but like it's not going to be worth it and then actually it is because if you build up over time that has like a massive effect in the long run doesn't it not just for like the result but actually what it's helped you achieve throughout that time as well like your well-being and I think that's a really interesting point for the outdoor activities as well because it's really easy not to do an activity because you're not good at it and actually you're missing the point the point of doing it is to enjoy doing something different and I think that that's something that's yeah. you know really cool about what you do Judith because you offer so many different options of activities and you're very creative on how you apply it it's not always just traditional yeah it's about letting people find what, what they, they want to do what makes them happy I think half of it a lot of the time is people just forget that they're in control of their own happiness I think we rely on so much on outside um sort of factors to make us happy do I have the job that I enjoy or am I just not enjoying what I'm doing? Why why does everybody think that that's just the way they've got to live because they've got to earn money? Um, and instead of sort of relying on the outside factors, that we tend to just forget that we can decide to be happy. So you can make the conscious decision to enjoy what you're doing. Uh, I think I wrote in the blog an example um, for one of the kids. Like if they're not happy with the activity we're doing at the moment let's say that we're doing knife skills and that's not what they want to do right now they want to go and get in the boat they want to get wet so they're going to decide to be unhappy doing what they're doing at that point in time because they're already thinking no the next thing is what i want to be doing 
Um, and a lot of the time, adults are like that as well. We're so busy focusing on what we should be doing next, what's going to happen in the future, that we're not happy in the moment. Um, and we just sort of have to remember that we we can control that as well as being adults that we're actually influencing those, those kids and setting an example of, yeah, no, you, sh you shouldn't just be thinking, oh, I'll be happy next week when I go on holiday. Make the most of what you're doing at, at that point in time. I've got a phrase and we kind of bounce it around our friends and it's like, don't just concentrate on the destination, enjoy the journey. And that kind of like sums it up for me. And I think once you've got that revelation, which it was for me, really, that idea of like enjoying the journey, life becomes a lot lighter. And you're able to enjoy it because it's part of the journey and it's the process. And another thing that's really interesting about what you just said is that it doesn't necessarily mean it's always easy. So when you're having to learn something new or go through the journey or a process it doesn't necessarily mean that that always feels good because it doesn't like you've got to go through certain barriers and allow yourself to experience those things to get to the destination but also grow as a person and that's like something that I think is really important as well yeah so yeah you're only uh, you're only in control of your own reaction if something negative is happening um, you might not be able to control that thing, but you can control your reaction to it. Um, saying that it's 10% of what actually happens to you and 90% of how you react. Obviously, there's going to be situations where that might not quite be true in the extreme. But if you can sort of remember that and check yourself when you're getting worked up about maybe you, you're happy to work hard and get into somewhere and realize, oh, actually, no, I can just enjoy the moment and know that I'm working towards something that I want. I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because that last statement of working towards something I want, it, it's, it's a really part of it. So it's this balance between saying, I really want to appreciate the moment. Um, I want to reflect on things that I've enjoyed in the past, but I also want to be moving in a direction that I want to head towards. So this is a really um, interesting point. And you talked about extreme situations. It's worth just exploring that now. So it's when you look at things like grief, I think a lot of a lot of time when people are stuck in grief, it's because the next destination isn't one they want to be in, um, and in fact, the destination they want to be in the one that they can no longer have, and so that's a really difficult journey to go on. And it's not until you've cracked that actually there are, there's enough to look forward to um, that I can enjoy the moment and the journey. Um, so this again goes back into the complexity of well-being and complexity of, of, of mental and physical health um, because there isn't a one-size-fits-all and there isn't at any point in your life you aren't going to be able to just turn around and say that's fine the next destination is always positive because the next destination isn't always positive um, but it comes back to those those legs on your stool have I got enough stability around me to get through the hard times get through the things that aren't as positive um, and get my life back into balance, back into check as much as I can based on the circumstances around me. But it does remind me how complex it all is. And it is about checking in because just because you feel all right one day, the next day you still have to work as hard. And I think that's forgotten as well. They're like moments in time, aren't they? So it's about kind of like persevering with yourself and allowing yourself the time as well. I think, you know, with, with a lot of things, we're, we're told to aspire for, for happiness. 
that actually for certain circumstances, acceptance is good enough. Like I'll accept we're going to climb to the top of a climbing wall because I currently have a phobia of heights, which I discovered several years ago is probably linked to me falling down the stairs as a toddler. However, I accept that going halfway up the climbing wall is good enough for me. And I think, again, it's about, you know, it's a, that's a very flippant example. But again, you know, happiness is seen as, as the end result. And actually, sometimes, you know, happiness won't ever be enough. But the acceptance will bring you contentment. contentment. Um, and, that, you know, I've been doing a lot of stuff over the last few months around gratitude, you know, which sort of I pick, I pick up and put down sort of the gratitude journal approach. But again, this whole idea of appreciating the stages that you've gone through, appreciating. So... If someone had told me at the beginning of March, we would have gone through what we've gone through as a world, but I'd feel as comfortable with it as I am, I would have said you're off your rocker because of all the things I felt like I would have missed out on and missed. But actually it's sort of, you know, when we think about well-being, it's pulled away everything and really focused on the stuff that matters. I've still got around me. And I think again, you know, when we're in a very busy life, a very busy time, maybe surrounded by voices of people who have expectations what good enough looks like you almost need to quieten all of that and really understand and obviously the word should comes up all in the minute should gets chucked around anywhere you know you're pulling on other people's belief systems so it's about understanding what actually matters um, and actually maybe in certain circumstances acceptance is good enough where in others happiness is the thing to aspire aspire to and for yeah so you could turn around and say like that you'd have been far happier at this point in time if you'd have been allowed out to go and see your family for the last couple mm. of months. If you'd have been able to go to the pub, for example, some people are really struggling with not having that extended um, sort of family there, the relationships they've got with the people that go and meet there. Um, my uncle would be an example. That's sort of his only relationship now is his mum and people that he meets down the pub and that's been taken away from me. Um, but I think a lot of people have managed to, to find during this time that sort of uh, quiet, that sort of moment to just think, no, actually, I've got all the time in the world. What do I actually want to do with it? What's important to me? And then roll with that. And then we've all been able to enjoy, I hope, some aspects of leave, especially with what the, the community that nurtures some of the work that I do you know the one thing that we make a point of is resilience is built when you don't need it and it's the same as well-being you know it's, it's tapping into all of these things every single day so that when you do need it it's available but quite often what happens is we realize there's an issue at moments of stress or trauma or bereavement or change and loss so it's about making it a part of your every single day so it's there when it's when it's really really needed Nurture Community CIC engage with the community in person and online through events to reduce isolation, 
and increase community spirit. Bi-weekly podcast Nurture Natter is hosted by the Nurture Community CIC. We're a collective of souls who are on a mission to help families get that wonderful balance of health, wealth and happiness, bringing communities together to inspire and support each other. Carry on the conversation with us online within our Facebook group Nurture Natter or use the hashtag NNPodcast on Instagram. And Twitter, you can find us at Nurture Ideas.